On June 21st, 1994, Evan King went to the East Cleveland apartment of a new friend, Crystal Hudson. Her daughter welcomed him in to await Crystal's return. Soon they were joined by Crystal's mother and a friend. Before leaving, the elder Hudson told them about a premonition that she had about Evan killing her daughter. Little did they all know, Crystal's body was already decomposing in the bedroom closet. While waiting for Crystal, Evan fell asleep, only to be awoken by her daughter's screams upon discovering the body. The autopsy showed signs of a struggle, rape, and strangulation, and a rape kit collected a great deal of decomposing sperm. The police held Evan on a previous minor infraction while questioning him about Crystal's murder. His body and clothing were free from any of her blood and any sign that he may have been in a struggle. DNA testing also cleared him as the source of the sperm. However, in the summer heat, the decomposition gave the prosecution an opportunity to create uncertainty about whether the sperm had been deposited at the time of death. The prosecution presented false testimony to circumvent the DNA evidence, claiming that the sperm could have been deposited hours or even days before her death paying no mind to the sheer number of sperm, which indicated a more recent deposit. Nearly two decades later, DNA testing on Crystal's fingernail scrapings confirmed that her killer was also her rapist, but somehow, even that wasn't enough for authorities to immediately release Evan King. This is Wrongful Conviction. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Today we're going to be interviewing a man named Evan King, who served almost a quarter century in prison for a crime that, I don't want to say a third grader could have solved it, because that's not the case, but a third grader would have known that this was not the man that committed this crime. All the evidence was in plain sight, 
And his conviction was based on a freaking premonition that somebody had. I'm sorry, I have to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah. <laughs> so with us today is the man himself. But before I introduce him, I'm going to introduce someone whose voice you'll probably recognize, Jennifer Bergeron of the Ohio Innocence Project. Jennifer, welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Thank you, Jason, for having me back. I feel like we could do just multiple seasons and just interview you because there's so <laughs> many terrible cases in Ohio. But this case um, is really something. And the man himself, a survivor not only of a, almost a quarter century in some of the worst prisons in the country, but also a cancer survivor, just a guy that's tough to kill and easy to love, a guy named Evan King. Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the insanity that... Cuyahoga County dished out, and we hear that name again and again on this show. Let's talk about Evan King as a young man before your life was, well, before you were kidnapped by the state. Let's call it what it was, right? Yeah. So what was your life like growing up? Where did you grow up? I grew up on the east side of Cleveland, starting in the projects on 55th. Did you have a happy childhood, your brothers and sisters? Yeah, it's nine of us, five boys and four girls. Wow. So you had a big family, you had a whole a whole baseball team. Um, yeah. And by the time all this swept you off your feet, what was your life like? Well, at the time of this, I was a valet at the Omni Hotel. And I had ventured into drugs, you know. I was messing with drugs and selling a little drugs, you know, just quick money, doing the wrong thing. You know, listen, my belief is that all drugs should be legal and no one should ever go to jail for what they put in their own bodies unless they're putting somebody else in harm's way. Um, were you ever involved in any violent crime? Nope. I mean, so there was no reason to suspect that all of a sudden one day you just snapped and committed this, what was really a brutal murder, which happened in June of 1994, involved a victim named Crystal Hudson. And Crystal was someone who was known to you, right? Yes, she was known to me. I had been friends with her for about two weeks. Which brings us to the evening, the fateful evening of June 21st, 1994. She was already gone at this point, but no one knew that yet except for the actual rapist and murderer. But that very night, you went to visit Crystal at her high-rise apartment building, and her daughter met you at the apartment door. She invited you in to wait for her mom. So as far as you knew, she was expected home at some point. Soon, you were joined by Crystal's mother and her best friend Jean, and none of you, none of you, none of you had any idea that Crystal's body had already begun decomposing in the bedroom closet down the hall. I mean, this is nuts. Can you walk us through how this evening unfolded? I got to the apartment. Her youngest daughter was there, and I asked her, "Was her mama here?" She said, "No." I said, "Well, I'll wait on her," you know. So the youngest daughter. When the back and played, I watched TV on the couch. Okay, so the body is in the apartment. There must have been an awful stench. I didn't notice no smell. Okay, so you're in the apartment, and then what happens? Crystal's mother lived a couple of floors up, and so did her best friend. They came down later on that evening. Best friend had a couple of 40 ounces, and we sitting at the kitchen table. That's where the mother mentioned. She had a premonition that I killed her daughter. That's exactly what she said. I had a premonition. And I was like, what? And after a while, the mother decides to go upstairs. And she takes the youngest daughter and left me and Jean in the apartment now. Why would she 
say she had a premonition, yet and still you would leave me and Jen in the apartment. You know, I mean, if you think I killed your daughter, why wouldn't you put us out when you left? And even when they was there, you know, the mother had said something about was I cooking or something because she was talking about she smelled something. And I say, well, I don't smell nothing and just left it at that. And the mother went upstairs with the youngest daughter, me and Jean, sat there drinking the 40 ounces. So when Jean left, I sat on back on the couch and I nodded off on the couch. And next thing I know is the next morning, both of the young daughters come in. And that's when I woke up and they said they wanted to get some clothes for school. They go to the closet. And the oldest daughter started screaming. And I jumped off the couch and run back there. I said, what is it? And she pointed to the closet and said, my mother's in the closet. I looked. I ain't even touched nothing. And I took both girls out in the hallway, knocked on the neighbor's door, said, call the police. And for our audience, this is a brutal crime. So just be aware what you're going to hear is going to be, you know, upsetting. And this is where I want to bring Jennifer in. Jennifer, can you tell us about the crime itself? So the crime was quite brutal. Poor Crystal was found strangled to death in her own closet, basically naked. And this was Cleveland in June and it was hot and it wasn't air conditioned. And she'd been deceased for, they decided, over 24 hours before she was even discovered. And she had been in this hot apartment in Cleveland this whole time. You know, there's lots of degradation that happens. There was evidence from the very beginning that she had also been raped at the time of her death. Evan happened to be in the apartment, unfortunately, when she was found. And so I think that's why he sort of became suspect number one, because he was there. And I waited in the hallway with the two daughters while the police came. If you were the actual killer, would you stand there and wait for the police to arrive? I mean, you're neither dumb nor crazy, and you'd have to be both to do that. And not only that, when the detectives did come, they brought me and set me at the table and said, would I mind answering some questions? I said, no, I don't mind. The police, so far as I could tell, never did any actual investigation. They just decided it was him, in part because Crystal's mother told them she had a premonition that Evan was going to harm her daughter. Now, somehow that premonition even came into court, which still boggles my mind as to how that was introduced as evidence, but it was. I wish this was the only time I had ever heard of something like a premonition being admitted into court, but it's not. Maybe instead of courts, we should all just go to psychics, you know what I mean, and see if they can figure these things out for us. I mean, well, it was a combination of laziness, right? Here's a guy who was in the apartment. Okay, must be him. And then, oh, there's a premonition. Bingo, right? And then they ran a check on me. I had a couple of tickets on me of bench warrant. And after they did their little investigation up there, they took me on downtown. So, okay, so you get arrested on these bench warrants. And then did they hold you from that time right up until the trial? When did you find out you were being charged with the murder? Uh, I think it was 72 hours later. Yeah, clearly they did a lot of investigation if they arrested him for murder in that short amount of time. Once I went to jail, I never got out. And the detectives interviewed me a couple of times over them 72 hours. And uh, I never forget the detective asked me, would I take a lie detector test? I said, sure, I'll take a lie detector test. He never brought it up again. One other thing that really 
tripped me out was when the guy came and took photographs of my body. I'm standing there naked. He had me get undressed, right? My man looked. He was like, turn around. He had his camera in his hand. He was, put your hands up and, you know, looking around. He said, you the first guy I never took a picture of. He didn't take one picture. I didn't have a scratch on me, no bruises. I'm a light-skinned guy. Believe me, I bruise easy. He didn't take one picture. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's important to recognize that Miss Hudson didn't leave this world willingly, right? right? She fought. There was fingernail scrapings, right? We find out later. They knew then, of course, that you know she had scratched her attacker. Mm-hmm. But somehow or other, you didn't have any scratches enough to a guy to even take one freaking picture. So, okay, this is this is how ridiculous this really is, and it's made even more so by virtue of the fact that the biological evidence and there was a lot of it, right? And none of it matched Evan. So, how did they square that circle? Yeah, not only was there no evidence that that Evan actually committed the crime, um, unless you count the fact that he was in the apartment in the premonition, but there was actually evidence at the time of trial that he didn't commit the crime. They had completed a rape kit on Crystal and did some DNA testing on it even back then, and there was male DNA present, but it wasn't Evan. So, you know, they kind of had to come up with a way to explain that away. Because there was also, as I said before, there was physical evidence that she had been raped, meaning physical evidence of trauma to her you know, intimate areas that suggested and confirmed that she was raped at the time. But they just kind of ignored the physical trauma areas. They basically got around this evidence by some testimony from some folks from the coroner's office from Cuyahoga County right. that we now know. Well, they would have known it at the time, but no one paid that close of attention to it. But we know for sure now was just completely bogus. The big question was when the semen was deposited. Was it deposited at the time of death or was it deposited up to a week earlier? And of course, the state came in and said, well, that could have been there for up to a week. And so she wasn't raped and murdered. The problem was that the the folks from the coroner's office, especially one, you know, they were focusing on the wrong information um, that was scientifically invalid at the time to even look at. They were looking at different fluid levels, but they should have been looking at sort of the number of sperm and the amount of semen that there was. And that's not what they were doing. So they weren't even following the appropriate practices at that time. And so that allowed them to go forward with the theory that she wasn't actually raped and murdered, that she was just murdered, even though the evidence clearly showed that she was raped and murdered. So the notorious Cuyahoga County Coroner's Office was either unconsciously or consciously presenting false testimony as they've done before. They created some wiggle room for the jury to still believe in you as the assailant. If that sperm had been deposited earlier than the time of death, perhaps she had had consensual sex or even been raped, you know, hours or even days before she was killed, making it plausible for the jury to believe that the DNA evidence from the sperm didn't determine who actually killed her, which would have left you as still some sort of potential suspect. Then you can see how the jury got fooled. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately for Evan, his defense counsel didn't effectively cross-examine them on this and didn't bring in any expert to sort of debunk it. It wasn't that, you know, it should have been a battle of the experts where one was saying one thing and the other was saying the opposite. They were just flat out wrong and nobody called them on it. Evan, who was your attorney? 
Um, were they court appointed? Yeah. I'll never forget that name, Rocco Russo. Wow, what a yeah. name. He didn't present no defense for me because even my family, when they came to court, they was like, your lawyer ain't objecting to nothing. He wouldn't object, and he was falling asleep a couple times. You know, if you feel that lawyer is selling you out, you got to let it be known instead of the lawyer telling you. Because uh, Rocco Russo just kept telling me, I got it. Just sit there. I got this. And I believed him. I sat there, and that was the, a mistake on my behalf. But you don't know at the time. Yeah, even if it seemed like you could see it then, you just didn't know it, unfortunately, until it was too late. But back then, in that moment, did you still hold out any hope that the jury was going to see through this false testimony and believe their own eyes and ears when it came to the actual evidence in this case? Yeah, of course. You know, I was thinking, well, I didn't do it. So they, they ain't going to find me guilty. I mean, that's where my mind was. But, you know, when you stand up and, and they come back with a verdict of guilty, you know, you got to take it and keep your head held up and walk out there. I said what I wanted to say to the judge. I definitely told him I'd be back in this courtroom. I'd never forget what I told Judge Corgan. What'd you say? After he said, Mr. King, I'm sentencing you to 15 years of life. And he said, uh, do you have anything to say? I say, you're sentencing an innocent man to prison while a guilty man walked the streets of Cleveland free. Pointed to him and I said, one day I'll be back in this courtroom for you to set me free. I have to say that I turned and I walked out with my head held up. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. 
That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station. With cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world to bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Any prison is bad because basically you're on guard 24 hours a day. I mean, you don't know when somebody flip out. They flip out for the minus things. Somebody might not be able to get on the phone and bust you in your head or cut you. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. On guard 24 hours a day, basically. You know. But either you can stay in prison and keep acting a fool in prison and be there the rest of your life or you got to learn some things or get some help. I couldn't adapt good to the books as far as case law and so I had to start writing letters, seeing who can give me some help. I was lucky enough to get in touch with Ms. Bergeron, the Ohio Innocent Project. God bless. So you ended up finally in the hands of people who cared a lot and were talented lawyers, and they weren't going to let go. But one after another, these courts denied you. And it was not that long ago that justice was finally delayed but not denied. So, Jennifer, take us through these denials. So Evan was represented by a different attorney for a while in back in 2004, I think, actually. He filed a first motion for DNA testing, and it took a long time. But in 2008, he asked for DNA testing on... The fingernail scrapings, because as you mentioned, we know that Crystal Hudson fought back at the time of her death. And so his theory was, well, if we test these fingernail scrapings and you find male DNA and it's the same as the DNA from the semen, then that's going to confirm what Evan's been saying since day one, which is that he was not the murderer and that the person who left the semen was actually raped her and was the murderer. So Evan had filed for DNA testing, and the trial judge had ordered it saying, I think I can quote him here, DNA belonging to an unknown party found under the fingernails of the victim, and then it went on to say, would prove the identity of the real killer if it matches the DNA from the scene. Okay? So basically, the trial judge was agreeing that if the fingernail scrapings came back and matched the rape kit, that that would prove Evan's claim. Well, it did exactly that. When I first read what the judge said about if the fingernail scraping match, I said, I'm out of here. And then when it come back for him to deny me, that just took me away. I'm like, isn't writing, you say, if if this come back to match that, it eliminates me as the killer. And then it come back to do just that. Then you say, denied. Even though he'd explicitly said before that that's what he was looking for, but he denied it based on 
the expert testimony from the trial, that same expert testimony that we've been talking about, that we know was just complete bogus nonsense. And so the trial judge said, well, the jury already knew that the DNA on the rape kit came from someone else. And, you know, the expert said that could have come up to a week beforehand. So it really doesn't mean anything. So then he appealed. This was in 2012. And the appeal was split three ways. One judge who is now an Ohio Supreme Court justice said he'd already showed he was actually innocent and should be released. And then there was two other opinions basically saying, well, we see the DNA results, but there was no expert testimony contradicting the trial expert testimony. So at this point is when the Ohio Innocence Project got involved And with the help of actually one of our former lawyers, Carrie Wood, who worked at the public defender's office, she got an expert involved and then she got in touch with me. Long story short, we refiled several things in state court and we also filed in federal court. The coroner's office and the prosecutor's office refused to give us all of the information we were asking for, like the additional data on the DNA testing, and they just flat out refused to give it to us. So our expert was working with what he had available. And he produced an affidavit that said several things. One, that the coroner's office experts who testified at the trial essentially presented false testimony. And also the additional information about the fact that they found male DNA under her fingernails indicated it had to have been a struggle because most people don't walk around with DNA under their fingernails belonging to someone else. Um, And the fact that they were able to get a full profile off the rape kit all those years later also indicated that semen must have been put there at the time of death because it wouldn't be that strong that much later. So we had three different motions pending in the trial court level. But eventually, like a year and a half later, the trial judge finally just denied all of those. So we had to appeal it again. I mean, it's just insane that you were denied by the trial court at this point, considering that you were remedying what they claimed was the reasoning behind the earlier denial involving the DNA match from the scrapings and the rape kit. Now you had done it. You had refuted the trial experts, but the trial court went ahead and moved the goalposts again calling your refuting of the state's false expert testimony a, quote, battle of the experts. Of course, you appealed this denial, and in January of 2017, the appellate court agreed with you, reversing the trial court's denial, granting you access to the DNA test results, which they had previously been blocking. They granted an upload to CODIS to see if you could get a match to another known perp. And so far, there's no dice with that. But significantly, you got an evidentiary hearing out of this. So you all start prepping for what you thought was going to be an epic battle. Your expert now had access to those DNA results. So he could go beyond what he'd already done in the affidavit. And in 2017, something truly unexpected happened. Just completely out of the blue one day in April, I was in a meeting and got got done. And I had like multiple voicemails and emails and things from one of the people from the prosecutor's office. I called her back and she told me that they had reviewed the case and talked to the coroner's office again and had concluded essentially that we were right and that our expert was right and that they were agreeing that they would release Evan. And I think I fell out of my chair about when that when I had that conversation because it was so unexpected given how they had been fighting everything up until that point. 
But of course, the first thing I needed to do was to get a hold of Evan to tell him the news. All right. So that means. Hello. <laughs> that means they. Th- I think it's not going to get filed till Monday. But I think that means you should hopefully be able to be going home soon. All right. That's it. He he needs just a moment. A moment to process this. Yeah. Uh, I want I wanted you to know right away. Uh, I do. I do this this day a couple of days, but I do I cry too. Sure she is. And like I always told you, I had complete faith in you. You know. <laughs> Thank you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world. To bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu.
I, after she told me, I had I just laid the phone down and my mind just tears came out. That's why I'm tearing up now. Tears just because at that time the only thing that I really think about is my my mama and my aunt because my mama always told me the Lord gonna let you out one day he just wants you to get your life together and I held on to that you know and when she told me that it was it was a lot of tears that day but uh it's a day that I'd never forget. Yeah, we had the call on Friday, and then it was getting ready to be Easter weekend. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as your listeners probably know by now, when someone is released from prison after they've been wrongfully convicted, it's obviously amazing, but it's not like they're sent home with, you know, yeah. any anything to help them readjust to life. So, you know, we had to go into sort of high gear in our office trying to make sure Evan had somewhere to go and he did with his cousin who was fantastic but I was on the phone most of the weekend trying to make sure all of that was set and then you wait for them to transfer him back to the county jail and then I was able to visit him there the night before we went back to court which was amazing Um, and then finally we went back to court but then it took hours and hours for them to process him back out And then in the meantime, even after we knew he was coming home, it still wasn't a relaxing experience because even just simple things like he needed access to medication that he took daily and they weren't letting him come home with any. And I spent the day trying to track down the doctor who ran the jail to make sure they would at least release him with a prescription so that we could make sure he didn't miss any of the doses of the medication that he needed. They wouldn't even give me the medication I had. That no, they, they gave wouldn't me. let you take it out. No, <laughs> it's it was crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Which makes absolutely zero sense on any level, right? It's just some bureaucratic insanity on top of all the other insanity. But luckily, you had this great team uh, behind you and a good family. And so you walk out into the fresh air. What was that moment like? And where did you go? What did, you, did you go straight to a restaurant or a bar or did you hug a tree or what no, did you do? Well, when we, once we got outside, you know, just the air is different on this side of the fence. It's like you can breathe again. You know, to me, it's God's gift. I hear you. I mean, we hear it in different ways from every different person who's been through what you've been through, different variations of it. It's um, it, it's it's beautiful. I mean, sad, but it's beautiful. So um, we're just happy you're, you're home and you're free, and we wish you, you know, every blessing that life has to offer going forward. You certainly deserve it. Um, and I want to, before we go to the closing of the show, first of all, I want to encourage people to support the Ohio Innocence Project, and we will put a link in the bio for people who want to donate or get involved in any way they can. Um, you were the 25th person exonerated by the Ohio Innocence Project. It's a remarkable number, but still it's a tiny number in terms of the overall innocent people that are remain behind bars. But we're happy you're here. 
And now we're going to turn to the closing of our show, which we call Closing Arguments. It works like this. I thank you both again, Jennifer. You know, you inspire me and so many other people by your remarkable advocacy. And it's always great to have you on the show. And obviously, I'm working closely with the Ohio Innocence Project on other cases, John Jones and others. And um, I know we're going to win those too. It just takes longer than we want it to, like it always does. But Closing arguments works like this. I'm going to finally stop talking. (laughs) I'm going to turn my microphone off. Thank you again, Evan King, Jennifer Bergeron, for being here with us. Closing arguments, I'm going to just turn my microphone off and let you say anything else that's left unsaid that you want to share with our audience. Evan, we're going to save you. I mean, you're the man of the hour, so you're going to be the, the last one to speak if that's okay. And we're going to let Jennifer share her thoughts and then hand the mic off to you and then take us out into the sunset. All right. Well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for having me back on. I'm kind of sad that I'm here because it means that there's more clients whose cases we can discuss, but I'm so grateful for the light that you're bringing to cases all over the country. There are stories that deserve to be told. Also, if I may, would like to put in a plug for two of my current clients, Carl Willis and Wayne Brady, or there's a website set up, freewayneandcarl.com, where that you can go read more information and find all kinds of information. And then, of course, I wanted to say thank you to Evan for being here with me. And you've always inspired me to keep going. And anytime I'm down and need a, a pick-me-up, I like to watch the video of you woohoo-hooing after you're coming out of the court. Uh, when you were released because <laughs> it's just a feeling of pure joy that gives me a smile every time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first of all, the Ohio Innocent Project was a godsend to me. They're family to me. For those of you out there listening, look up the Ohio Innocent Project. Some of you have people in loved ones that you know are innocent, need to be freed. You don't know where to start, just give them a call. And as always, stay in your lane. Try to stay trouble-free. But the Lord has your back. Just keep your faith and continue to do the right thing. But one thing I would like to say came out good out of this. I haven't messed with the drug, cocaine, in almost 30 years now. I've been clean for almost 30 years now. People who always talk about you can't stop drugs overnight. Oh, yes, you can. When the right thing happened to you, you can stop anything. But that all happens in God's blessings. So with that, thank you for having me here on your podcast. As I bid you farewell. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis, with research by Lila Robinson. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both TikTok and Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.